We started last Sunday a, a short three-week Christmas series, and uh, show you a recap here so we can keep up with this. Last week we talked about the people who were waiting for His coming, all those centuries uh, waiting for His coming, and today we're going to be talking about rejoicing at His birth, and then next Sunday we're going to talk about longing for His return. Now I want to just say very quickly. Today and next Sunday are kind of unusual teaching moments for me. I usually don't teach this way, but today and next week, uh, I'm going to give you a lot of Scripture. Now, there's obviously nothing wrong with that, but usually we just take some verses and we'll, we'll go through them one at a time. But today and next week, are uh, my attempt is to today to give us an overview of the life of Christ, just a quick snapshot from birth to death. And so in order to do that, uh, we got to cover a lot of ground. And so a lot of verses are going to be coming at you kind of rapid fire. I know you can't turn to all these. I understand that. Don't break a wrist or anything and sue the church trying to flip real fast. You, you won't be able to keep up with these. We will have them on the screens for you. And then next Sunday, I was talking with Jaron and Rachel about it, uh, just emailed them about it, and um, we're talking about the coming of Christ next Sunday, and what a glorious event that will be. And I honestly, I've told folks, when I edit my sermons, I'm ruthless with myself. I really edit very seriously because I don't want there to be, as the Bible said, I don't want any words to fall to the ground, right? I want every word to be meaningful, to have substance, and to land with us. I don't want to get up here just to fill up a half hour. And so it's, it's been a really tough job for me to edit next Sunday's sermon down. But I'm telling you, uh, be here, because I am so excited to look into these scriptures. I promise you, this has nothing to do with me. We could get an eight-year-old to come up here and read these scriptures, and revival could break out, okay? But next Sunday... Uh, God's Word is going to touch you in a powerful way. Well, today, we want to consider the topic rejoicing at His birth and looking for a few minutes at how that rejoicing turned in a different direction so quickly. Many years ago, a friend of mine, uh, a guy that I was in the IT business with for probably 15 years, we worked together for a long time, uh, one of my really good friends, uh, one of the smartest people I've ever known, like off the charts smart. He's almost as smart as me, but not. <laughs> so this guy is so intelligent that he's, he's always processing things. I mean, down to the point where we're in a restaurant at a business dinner and everybody's ordered and the waitress is patiently standing there. And Steve is going through the menu items, analyzing the, the, the price-to-value ratio of each item, you know, kind of in his head, like, okay, what's going to be the best? And like, Steve, just order something, would you please? Well, when it came time for he and his wife to have their first baby, Steve began to plan. And for nine months, he put the perfect plan in place. And when the time came in the middle of the night, you know how this goes, when our first one came, Sandy woke me up at 2 in the morning and said, we got to go to the hospital, the baby's coming. I said, at 2 in the morning? Impossible. Go back to sleep. <laughs> well, so his wife said, 
honey, we got to go. The baby's coming. Steve jumped up in bed and he, got, he, he ran out of the room. And then a couple seconds later, he ran back in and he said, you get the suitcases. I'll get the car. And he ran out of the room. He ran back in and said, no, 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 you get the car. I'll get the suitcases. And he ran out of the room and he came back in and his wife was just going <laughs> like this. Well, they got ready and Steve, now this is before caller ID. Not that it would have mattered at a hospital, but he had the number of the hospital right by the phone. Remember when we had phones screwed to the wall and you had to stand there to make a call? <laughs> he picks up the phone, he calls the hospital and he says, we're on our way. And he hung up the phone. <laughs> Having your first baby can make even the smartest person act like an imbecile. It can really do a number on you. Every couple prepares for the birth of their baby, especially their first baby, with a lot of nervousness. Everybody prepares in their own unique way. But there's never been a baby in the history of the world whose birth was more talked about and more anticipated than Jesus. His coming had been foretold and awaited not for nine months, but for centuries. It had been talked about, preached about, written about, thought about, sung about. And the people desperately needed Jesus to come. They turned away from God. They were walking in darkness, as we saw last Sunday, and they'd been doing this for generations. But the prophets had told them repeatedly that the Savior was going to come one day. And these prophecies were very specific. It wasn't anything vague like Nostradamus, you know. Someday in the future, a child will be born who will do great things. Well, thanks a lot for that. No, these are very specific. Here's a couple of examples. Isaiah 7:14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. This is about 700 years before. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. That's one of the names for Jesus, means God with us. Micah 5.2, but you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. And so the people heard this and they, they were banking on it. They waited and waited and waited patiently and at certain points wondered if he was ever going to come. But God always keeps his word. And sure enough, the day came when all those prophecies began to be fulfilled. God had the exact time and day for the Savior to be born. Hey, you know, in, in your life and mine, there are times when I wish God would hurry up. You understand? Because I'm so brilliant. Apparently, I'm so much smarter than he is. And how foolish to even think that. And yet I catch myself quite often saying, God, would you come on? These people were checking their clock. They were checking their calendars. God wasn't showing up. But then we read these incredible words in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. But when the fullness of time had come. That's a powerful phrase. When the fullness of time had come. <coughs> The fullness of time. It had been completed. You see, your fullness of time is very different than his. But his is right. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And so now the 
the, the clock begins ticking, as it were, from the coming of Jesus. It's now right around the corner, and we're told how all of this came about. And we're familiar with most of these passages, but just to give us an overview. So we're told that God sent the angel Gabriel to Mary, and we read this in Luke chapter 1, verse 31. The angel said to her, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Now Mary's heard the announcement. And now an angel goes to Joseph, and he says this to him in Matthew 1, And she, Mary, will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So now the news had finally come, not just to the general population, now it's been zoned in to the parents, the ones who will raise the Son of God in human form. And even John got in on this announcement. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And then in verse 9, he says, The true light which gives light to every man was coming into the world. And then the day came when all the announcements of his coming were replaced with announcements of his birth. And we pick that up in Luke chapter 2. Now there were shepherds. Uh, out in the country, living in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. I love the King James. It says they were sore afraid. They were so scared it hurt, apparently. They were sore afraid. <laughs> it's not true. Verse 10, And the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be for all people for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find the baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. I mean, what an introduction. What a birth announcement this is. You know, you send out birth announcements when your child is born. Imagine a birth announcement like this. I mean, let me summarize what we've read so far. God's own son was the one who was coming. He was the one who was from the beginning, through whom the world was made. It said he would be great. He'll reign on David's throne. His kingdom will never end. He's going to save his people from their sins. He's going to be the light of the world. And angels filled the sky singing glory to God in the highest. I mean, no birth announcement has ever come close. Imagine the joy that must have filled Joseph and Mary's heart. Imagine the questions they must have had. As new parents, I mean, Mary and Joseph were no different than any of us as parents. Uh, look, we've got to, uh, I think we need to destroy all those ridiculous paintings of Mary with a huge halo around her head 
And Jesus with a huge halo around his head and everything is serene and wonderful. Hey, Mary didn't have a glowing halo around her head. We ought not pray to Mary. Mary is not sinless, as some denominations say. Sandy and I heard just the other day uh, something we were listening to, and, and the guy said, you know, we need to, in these times, we need to pray to our mother Mary for help. And I was like, wow. No, you, you read it. Mary said, I rejoice in God, my Savior. She needed a Savior. But as new parents, they, Mary and Joseph were just like us. They didn't glide through this process and raise Jesus on sort of this cloud of uh, peacefulness and spirituality. They had all the same ups and downs, joys and frustrations that you and I have as parents. They were brand new parents. They, they wondered about all the things that new parents wonder about, like how long can you leave the pacifier on the floor and still put it right back in the baby's mouth? They, they wondered... How does this car seat attach to a donkey? They had all these questions. But in addition to the human excitement and questions and nerves that Joseph and Mary experienced, they also had to grapple with the larger than life news that this baby was the promised Messiah who would save them from their sins. It's incomprehensible. Where do you begin as new parents even processing that? It must have been overwhelming. It's, it's hard to imagine all the delight and wonder and fear and uncertainty that were swirling around in their minds. How are we supposed to raise the Messiah? What's going to become of him? How, how is his life going to turn out when he grows up? And as surely as they must have been pondering these things, I mean, all parents have, have looked down at that precious little chubby face with rosy cheeks and thought, boy, I have so many hopes and dreams for this child. There's so much I want for this child when he or she grows up. Mary and Joseph did the same thing. Make no mistake about it. And as all those thoughts were going through their minds, the first eight days passed and it was time to take Jesus to the temple to present him before the Lord to offer a sacrifice as the law required. And we kind of ended up here last week. When they arrived at the temple, there was that man named Simeon who had been waiting for the coming Messiah. By the way, it doesn't say Simeon was a priest in the temple. He was just a guy at the temple, which makes it even weirder that he came and took their baby out of his arms, out of their arms. But Simeon was there, and he, he took baby Jesus in his arms, and he spoke these beautiful words that we saw last week where we, where we kind of ended all this in Luke 2.29. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And listen, and Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Well, so far, I mean, this has all been really exciting news. What a birth announcement. All the angels singing, the shepherds coming to visit, Simeon saying this glorious thing about him in the temple. I mean, how could things possibly get any better than this? But all those joyful announcements that had come 
Not only before his birth, but the night of his birth, and now at eight days old, all those joyous announcements suddenly took a very dark turn. A split second after Simeon declared that this child was the light and glory of God coming into the world, he said this in Luke 2, verse 34. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and a sign which will be spoken against, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Wait, what now? Uh, This child is going to cause the rise and falling of many? Uh, It's going to be a sign that will be spoken against. And I'm sorry, did you say a sword is going to pierce my soul too? What? I mean, surely Mary and Joseph's heart rate must have skyrocketed in that moment. One of those moments where you can hear it beating in your ears. Surely they must have shot a quick glance at one another with a flash of bewilderment in their eyes. What did he just say? Imagine the conversations on the way home. But the bad news didn't end there. King Herod heard about the birth of Jesus, who was the promised king. And he was so insecure that Jesus was going to grow up and take his throne, that he issued an order that all baby boys in the land were to be murdered. And his goal there was, obviously, that by doing that, he would make sure that little Jesus was put to death too, and then no one would threaten his power and his position. But Jesus wasn't just rejected at his birth. He was rejected and insulted his entire ministry. And I want us to see this this morning because at Christmas time, it should be a joyous, wonderful time, and it is. But I never want us to skip over what the Savior did for us when he came. John's glorious proclamation about the light of life coming into the world also turned into very solemn news. John 1, 10 and 11. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. And then one of the saddest Verses in all the Bible, John 1.11, he came to his own, and his own did not receive him. I mean, what awful words. The very Savior, the Messiah, the one who had been so anticipated, wasn't what the people expected, and so they cast him aside. And can I just say quickly, That that wasn't just a problem 2,000 years ago. See, some people look at Christ and they want to make him into the kind of savior they want. There was a movie star years ago, uh, Sarah Michelle Gellar, who had an article out and they were interviewing her and she was talking about religion. And she said, well, basically what I've done is I've taken a little bit from all religions and I've made sort of my own faith. I've taken a little bit from Hinduism and Buddhism and Christianity and Islam and on and on. See, and that's what people want to do. They, they, want, to, they want to reshape God into their own image, something they like. And this is what the people did 
They saw Jesus, they heard him teach, and it was not what they were expecting. And he ended up being rejected by the very people he created. And how did all that play out? Well, just a few really quick examples in the life of Jesus. Man, there are so many that I had to cut out. Here are some. The people in the cities of Chorazon and Bethsaida and Capernaum and the Decapolis all rejected his teaching. I mean, that's, that's a pretty hard blow to take. If you teach, you pour your heart out, and all of them just turn their back and walk away and go, get out of here, we're not interested. Oh, that's hard. He was unwelcome to enter a certain Samaritan village. They didn't want him coming through there. He was under constant attack and criticism. Now, I've tried to just take a few of these and sort of condense them all together just to give us a, an idea of the life that Jesus lived and all that he endured. Here are some quickly, Matthew 2, 14. But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. Matthew twenty two fifteen. The Pharisees again went out and laid plans to trap Jesus in his words. Mark 12, 12. And they sought to lay hands on him. Mark 14, 1. And the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might take him by trickery and put him to death. Mark eleven eighteen. And the scribes and chief priests, the priests, the people who were supposed to be carrying out God's work, they sought how they might destroy him. Luke 15, 2. And the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Luke 19, 47. And the chief priests, the scribes, and the leaders of the people sought to destroy him. John 5, 18. Therefore the Jews sought all the more to kill him. John 8, 59. Then they took up stones to throw at him. John 10, 31. Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. John 10, 20. And many of them said, he has a demon. He's mad. Why do you listen to him? John eleven fifty three. 53. Then from that day on, they plotted to put him to death. And it just goes on and on and on. You think your life is tough? We have no idea what Jesus went through. All the things that he bore. Even well into his life, people would say, oh, we know you. We know you. You're the one who was born of fornication. He carried that shame his whole life. People laughed about him behind his back and cursed him directly to his face. And speaking prophetically years earlier, the psalmist wrote this about Jesus from his point of view, and he summed it all up like this in Psalm 69, 4. They that hate me without a cause are more than the hairs of my head. That was Jesus' life. Even many of his own followers abandoned him. We see an example of this in John 6, verses 66 and 67. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Then, and in this tender moment of vulnerability, if I, can, if I can say that rightly, I don't mean to be incorrect on that at all, but it seems that Jesus is making himself so vulnerable here as, as his disciples, the, you know, beyond the 12, his disciples turn and said, we can't take this anymore. This guy's crazy. We're out of here. And, and as the last one maybe disappeared over the hill, Jesus turned and he said to the 12, are you going to leave me too? 
You can leave me too? This is not exactly a high point in someone's ministry. Jesus would not make the top 10 pastors of the year. He was loved by some and hated by many. And it wasn't bad enough that all those people rejected him, but it's absolutely heartbreaking that his own family rejected him. Another prophecy written about Jesus, Psalm 69.8, in his words said, I have become a stranger to my brothers, an alien to my mother's children. John 7.5, for even his own brothers did not believe in him. Imagine the sadness this must have brought to Jesus to carry this his whole life. No wonder the Bible calls him a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Later, two of his brothers would believe in him, but we have no record that the others did or his sisters. But he wasn't just rejected during his life. I want you to see he was rejected even at his death. He was rejected at his birth, he was rejected all his life, and he was rejected at his death, the night before the cross. One of his own disciples not only betrayed him, but sold him, sold him into the hands of the enemy. Psalm 41.9, even my own familiar friend in whom I trusted, who ate bread with me, has lifted up his heel against me. And that same night... Just a little while after that event, in the Garden of Gethsemane, as Jesus bowed there and poured out his heart to his Father, weeping and crying in prayer under such intense pressure that blood droplets began to come through the pores in his skin mingled with his sweat. It's a medical condition that can actually happen. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane, and we try to picture him, and I've stood right there in that place with those strange gnarled trees and it's it's just a bizarre but beautiful place you picture jesus there weeping and crying out to the father carrying the weight of the world on his shoulders matthew 26 38 then he said to them his disciples my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even unto death Stay here and watch with me. Do you hear that? He's not giving them commands. He's pleading with them. Guys, do you understand? These are my last hours. Would you at least stay here and watch with me? Watch and pray with me. And what'd they do? They fell asleep. Again, later that same night, in his final hours before the cross, he appeared before Annas and he was rejected. He appeared before Caiaphas, and he was rejected. He appeared before the council, and he was rejected. He appeared before Pontius Pilate, and he was rejected. He appeared before Herod, and Herod just wanted to see a miracle. He went back to Pilate a second time. Pilate didn't know what to do with him. He was rejected. And then he was rejected by the people as, they, as the mob yelled out in unison, Crucify him! Crucify him! Give us Barabbas instead! Even on the cross, even as Jesus hung, dying on the cross, having to pull his body weight up on those nails in his hands just to, just to get his next breath, 
<gasps> he did that for hours. But even on the cross, in that agony, listen to what people said about him. Matthew 27, 39. And those who passed by blasphemed him, wagging their heads and saying, You who destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself if you are the Son of God. Come down from the cross. Likewise, the chief priests also Mocking with the scribes and elders said, He saved others, but he cannot save himself. If he is the king of Israel, let him come down now from the cross and we'll believe in him. Verse 43, He trusted in God. Let God deliver him now if he will have him. For he said, I am the son of God. Even the thieves who were crucified with him reviled him in the same way. But here's the amazing thing. None of this was a surprise to Jesus. He knew beforehand that he would have to endure all this mocking and rejection and slander and shame because it had all been prophesied and written down in the scriptures. He knew beforehand what he was getting into. I'll give you an example from Isaiah. We know these verses so well. I wonder if we can still hear them again. Isaiah 53, 2. For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness or its beauty. And when we see him, there's no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. What a powerful word. To esteem someone is to hold them in honor. We didn't even do that. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. And do we deserve this? Well, let's find out. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And yet still, what did God do? He laid on Christ the iniquity of us all. Verse 7, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter. As a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Jesus wasn't surprised by any of this. He walked into this knowing that every one of these things was going to happen to him. And he did it anyway. Why? Well, he did it not only for the joy of fulfilling his father's will, but he did it to bring salvation to many. One of my favorite moments in the entire life of Jesus 
is this little thing tucked away in the scriptures that's so beautiful to me. The Bible says that one day he went into the synagogue in Nazareth, which was where he grew up. And it says he, he opened the scroll of Isaiah and he found the place and he read this passage to everyone. And it's one of the clearest explanations of why he came. Now just picture Jesus there with these people who are mocking him, who think he's crazy. And he stands up, he opens the scroll. And he begins to read from Isaiah. And we, we pick this up in Luke four eighteen. He begins to read, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to preach good news or preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Watch this. Then, then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down and the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. You could have heard a pin drop. And then he said this explosive statement. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. No wonder they wanted to stone him. In other words, he's saying, I'm the one you've been waiting for. I'm the one who heals the brokenhearted. I'm the one who sets the captives free from oppression. I'm the one who brings sight to your spiritual blindness and light to your spiritual darkness. I'm the one. And that's why he came. That's why he came. And he's the only one who can do any of those things for you. You won't find it in Buddha. You won't find it in Muhammad. You won't find it in Confucius. You won't find it in Gandhi. You won't find it anywhere else. There is salvation in no other. No other. There's only one name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And it's the Lord Jesus Christ. I know that's offensive. I don't care. It's the word of God. There'll come a day in this country when pastors will be put in jail for saying what I just said. And it may come sooner than we think. I don't care. It's the word of God. And people need to hear it. The last thing people need to hear nowadays is a, a softened, more polite message of the gospel. I had someone say to me years ago in our I'm not big on these things much, but, you know, we, we have one. It's, uh, we need to know what our purpose is, what our mission is. But for LifePoint, you know, we, we tried to summarize it, and we said this. LifePoint exists to worship God, to reach the lost, and to raise up spiritually passionate followers of Jesus Christ. We felt like that summed up the mission of the church. We're not to be about putting on events and parties and picnics. That's all fine. But that's not the mission of the church. We're here to reach the lost and make disciples. So someone came to me years ago with this, uh, our little booklet, and he said, you know, uh, I've been thinking about this, and uh, I really feel like you guys should take the word lost out of there. And I said, what? He goes, it's just, it's, it's just offensive nowadays. And I said, and what would you suggest we replace it with? And he said, well, maybe say, you know, 
We want to reach those who are apart from God. And I said, so you're saying the lost. <laughs> and he just went on and on. You know, I, think, I, I don't think people are going to come if they see that. I said, don't come. I don't care. I'll preach to myself. I don't care. I'm not here to make friends and influence people. I'm not here to, to win people's votes. And of all times in our lifetime, if we need the gospel to be preached in clear truth, it is now. It's now in a time when apparently there is no absolute truth. Everything is relative. Until you turn the situation around and point it straight back at them. So if someone decided to break into your home tonight at midnight and murder your family, you'd be okay with that because we can't tell people what to do. We can't say what's right and wrong. All of a sudden, they want morals. They want justice. Listen, Jesus is the only one, always has been, always will be, the only one who can set the oppressed free. The only one who can heal your spiritual blindness and bring you out of spiritual darkness into light. He's the only one. And I don't know, maybe, maybe someone here, maybe God is speaking to you right now. You've been searching high and low to find joy and peace and wholeness. You've looked everywhere. You've tried everything. But you haven't found it yet. You always wake up empty. You'll never find it in anyone or anything else. Someone once said these amazing words, we were made for him and our hearts are restless until they find rest in him. Amen. You see, lots of people choose to reject Jesus. And just like all these people we've seen a quick glimpse of today in this message, people today, still some sitting in churches, still choose to reject Jesus. But that doesn't have to be your story. Today, your life can change. You have the opportunity today to believe on him and receive him as your Savior and Lord. That's why we have the Bible. That's especially why the Apostle John wrote his book. I'll give you one more verse today. I know I've loaded you down. I'll give you one more verse. John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31. This is why John said he wrote this book. He said, and truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. Boy, I can't imagine how many. And then he said this, but these are written. Listen to this, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. There's the whole story right there. That's what it's all about. So I ask you today as we, as we close, what will you do with Jesus? I'll say it for the thousandth time. People tell me, well, I've attended church my whole life. It doesn't matter. I've even given money to the church. I held charities. I don't cheat on my taxes. I don't cheat on my spouse. I, I try to do good to people. Great. It's not going to get you into heaven. In fact, it's not going to help you one bit. There's only one way. 
Jesus said in John 14, 6, I, I'm sorry, I'm giving you another Bible verse. I lied. I said that was the last one. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. So what are you going to do with Jesus today? You see, people, even churchgoers, and we're going to see a little bit more of this next week, they can reject Jesus their whole life. They can go through the motions, the religious rigmarole. They can reject Jesus their whole life and assume that everything is still going to be fine. But here's the thing. This life is not going to last forever. One day it's going to end, and you're going to stand before him. Or, before that happens... Jesus will come back, and you'll stand before him. We're going to talk about his coming next week. I ask you as a closing question, are you ready to meet him? Are you ready for his coming? You either are, or you aren't. I pray in these closing moments, as we sing a couple songs, you'll take this time to really, really examine I mean, serious business, man. This is not making a decision on which shirt to buy. This is, this is life's decision. Life and eternity rest on, on this decision. What have I done with Jesus? That's the question you need to ask. What have I done? Have I ever come to the cross and bowed before him and repented of my sin, admitted that I'm a sinner, and said, Lord, have mercy on me? I invite you into my life to put my old self to death and make me be born again as a new creation and be my Savior and my Lord. If you need help with that this morning, during these closing songs and after the service, we have men and women who will be at the back who are ready to talk with you and to show you from the Bible how to be saved. Wow, what a thing we've seen today. Jesus came rejoicing at his birth. What a, what a wonderful moment. Everybody rejoicing at his birth. But let's not stop there at Christmas. Let's remember all that he went through for us because of his love for us. I pray that you won't leave this place today without making sure that he is your Savior. Let's pray. You've been listening to a broadcast from LifePoint Church in Greenville, South Carolina. If this ministry has touched your life in some way, we would love to hear from you. Just visit our website at www.lifepointsc.org for more information. Or, if you prefer to reach us by letter, you can write to us at P.O. Box 27036, Greenville, South Carolina, 29616, USA. Until next time... May God bless you as you continue to follow Him. of my heart.